Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Comics Pals Reviews. Today is a very special day. And I'm so thankful to have Pete alongside me to celebrate this day. Sean, I'm so excited to talk about this issue with you. Today is Inferno Day. And what a blessed day it is. X-Men Inferno has finally dropped. I actually could not resist grabbing two covers two. for this one. I had to get oh. so I, I had to get the, the main cover. Of course. Uh, I love it. You know, it's got Moira on it and it showcases, you know, various characters from Krakoa um, on the ground fallen under her. And it looks really cool. Um, but then I, I had to do it. I had to get the art germ mystique dude cover. That cover's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, my God. So cool. Yeah, gorgeous. Mystique is amazing. Um, we have a lot of thoughts, as you can imagine, about this issue. Before we get to that, I do want to let you guys know how you can support the show. Make sure that you are leaving us a like, a rating, and a review wherever you listen. If that happens to be YouTube, subscribe for free, like the video, share it with your friends, drop us a comment. All that stuff is free to do, and it helps us out a lot more than it costs you. If you leave comments on our videos and you're wondering where our responses are, they're always on our main show, The Comics Pals, which drops every single Monday, where we're talking about the characters you love and all the places you can find them and the news that surrounds them each and every single week. And if you're looking for our reviews for Image Comics, those always drop on Wednesdays. We get our, our Image reviews out early. Our reviews for everything else will always drop on Thursdays. Uh, and also listen to our reviews for What If. We watch What If, which drops every Thursday as well. Now, let's get into the main event. We're only reviewing one book this week. It's our pick of the week. Buy it, whatever. Let's get all that out of Pull the way. Pull this fucking book. Are you kidding yeah. me? This is the shit. This is the main event. Yes. This is the direct, pretty much, follow-up to House and Powers uh, that Hickman worked and, and did such a masterful job with, um, you know, every thread that was laid there is, is addressed here in some form or fashion. Um, it's a triple, double, triple sized issue. Uh, it's a doozy, very long, um, but there's a lot here. So it's Jonathan Hickman, of course, who wrote it. Uh, Valerio Schiti did the, uh, did the art on this issue. Uh, and then I can't find the other credits. I don't know. They always oh, here. move these around. It's so annoying. Um, I've got them. Okay. Uh, David Curiel did the colors. Uh, Joe Sabino on letters. And Tom Muller, of course, did the designs. Now, the issue starts off uh, with basically... The X Men, a few X Men on a mission. We've got Kittle, Kid, we've got Pete and Bessie, frankly, Kid <laughs> Omega, uh, Domino and Wolverine on a mission to kill uh, Nimrod. Well, wait, what about the? You want to talk about the bit before that? Oh, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, I. So, so the the first like three pages of this, there's like a, a a bit of the infographic stuff, but we have two pages of seemingly Charles and Magneto um, being resurrected, and with Emma standing over them with uh, Cerebro on, and 
I feel like that is the only thing that happens in this issue for which we are provided zero context. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think, though, that it's fairly it's 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 not a great omen for those two. I I took it as they're not surviving the series. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think you're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't necessarily think of it that way at the time, but I think thinking about the, that scene now in the context of what we've read. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nothing else happens there. It's interesting that Emma's the one wearing Cerebro yeah. and not, say, Jean. Um, but I think that part of the the teasing, the previews have, have given us the idea that Emma's out for power right now. And there isn't much more powerful you can get than being in the Charles Xavier position on Krakoa. Yeah, for sure. Um, but we do see the Orcus mission where they're trying to kill uh, Nimrod and it just doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. They die. Uh, they die horribly. Nimrod has an answer for all their powers. He's programmed to be aware of how their powers work and knowing the counter. And that's really bad because you got to assume he knows that for all the mutants. So I I wondered that because one of the things that I was I was uh, asking myself is does he have some idea of how to do that for all mutants or is this specifically because of the conversation that the uh, the two scientists have where they're talking about how this is like the you know seventeenth attack or whatever right um, and that like they've learned and gotten better at responding every single time I'm wondering if he's specifically able to counter these three mutants better because he's fought them so many times before now and he's like optimizing his strategy every time that's possible and it, it it's possible that they're choosing not to send other mutants to face him because they know that that will happen they don't want to give him knowledge over their power sets that they don't need to but it it, it is curious like are they sending are, are they continuing to attack him because they really think that they'll win you know it's it's they, they do have a conversation later where they where they you know professor xavier and magneto tell moira like we're not succeeding yeah in trying to kill him but why do they keep sending them like it, it, it it's pretty clear that these three mutants are not gonna kill nimrod yeah you think they would have decided that before the 16th attempt yeah it's also frustrating to me although that... i guess just real quick sorry um they did say that not every attempt has been those mutants Right, they said there's been 16 attempts overall, and they they called out that like some of them were like hired um, external forces and participants, including long range assaults. Two instances, two instances of hired assassins, and then they had the brood attack them once as well. So I, I would imagine that th those th well, those are a certain number of those 16. So uh, you know, I guess it remains to be seen like how many times the mutants have actually done it. But like we see in that shot they have like at least six i can count wolverine skeletons in uh in those like stasis pods yeah i guess the point i was making is that they said they're sending the same mutants yes. that's the point yeah. 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 yeah so what i'm trying to get at is i don't understand why they're sending only three mutants when they could send all the mutants yeah if if nimrod is that big of a threat and you know that they, they take Nimrod as being the ultimate threat 
to mutant kind. They, they, in the conversation they have with Moira, they identify that Nimrod and Destiny are the two greatest threats to mutant kind. So why would you play around with one of your greatest threats? Yeah, it's a good question. It's it's something that I hope the series has an answer to, but it's more likely that if the, the that the answer is simply if they did that, they'd win. And that's not that can't be the story. Right. Um, uh, but but you would hope that Hickman has a better answer for it than that. I don't suspect that he does. Yeah. Um, but then we get a scene that uh, adds a little bit more dialogue and context to the initial meeting between Destiny, Mystique, and Moira. It actually opens with a a new scene that we haven't quite uh, been shown before where Moira is with the scientists who have helped her develop this uh, mutant cure, as they refer to it. And I, I don't know if you felt this way, but I actually thought that this scene, at least the very beginning of it, was like popping the champagne for the crew behind the scenes that works on these textbooks. <laughs> I was like, uh, we did it, guys. We got here. You know, it's it's funny. I, I, I could definitely see that. I, I like that, especially like, congratulations, everyone. We've done it, right, as the, yeah. the first panel there. Um, the yeah. first thing it immediately made me think of was that um, – that scene in Spider-Man Two with Alfred Molina, and he just murders all the the doctors. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> and then, of course, you know the fact that there are there are five of them. That's that's obviously a big number for the mutants. Sure. Um, I I, I want to go back at some point and compare the original sequence between these three yeah. and the one we're getting here. I don't know if the dialogue is the same. There were certain lines that I do remember, but I think there was, there was definitely new lines. Yeah. I, I think you're right about that. There were definitely some that I, I remembered and I was wondering like, Oh, did they just lift these pages and put them back in? Like, you know, is, is it like a real recreation of these things? Like we've seen done in smaller degrees in some of the other books, but yeah, um, I think you're right. I think, I think there is new stuff. It's interesting, though, because I think this scene is maybe more important than I even realized when I first read it way back when or my first reading of this issue. So um, the point is made by Destiny and Mystique that Moira has doubt about whether or not it's the the right decision to try and save mutant kind she has she's not sure that that's the right thing to do mm-hmm. um and they think that making her fear them is that might be the right course of action um i think it's really interesting that maybe she carries that doubt with her now yeah i mean it's funny because <clears throat> to the point you just made, I don't know that I thought about that the first time you said it, but now that I think about that in the context of the cover, it makes me wonder. Yeah. Yep. Right? Like, you know, maybe the the one, maybe she's going to come to the conclusion that the one thing she hasn't tried is a different way to get rid of the mutants. <laughs> For all oh, that Mo- Moira yeah. should try a different way to get rid of the mutants. 
that's see, that's the most compelling question in my mind about the Moira character now is based on this scene, this scene, is she motivated by a genuine desire to keep mutants thriving or her own self-preservation? She seems scared of the idea that a, she could die before she gets to live another life asking the question of how do I die? And then also being told that she only has about 10 or 11 lives, depending on how many choice, what, what her choices are, no matter what. So that I think is really interesting. Does Moira care about the plight of mutant kind or her own existence and avoiding destiny? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's possible that the answer is both to some degree, right? Like just because, um, just because she does care about the plight of mutant kind doesn't mean that she also doesn't want destiny. Like, you know, um, there's the page right where Xavier and Magneto agree to get rid of her. And, uh, Moira says, I cannot, will not accept her breathing Krakoan air. I want her gone forever burned from all existence and forever burned and existence are all in bold and italicized. So I, it's personal for her, right? Like she says, I haven't slept peacefully for a thousand years. Like I, I think that destiny is like a boogeyman for Moira. And I, I think that she does selfishly want her gone because of the threat that she represents I don't know that that means that she has um, sinister or ulterior motives that that go against the mutant agenda, right? Um, that said, I think it could mean that, right? Like because to the point that that um, Destiny makes the the cycle is inevitable. But if she can get rid of Destiny and take her off the board, then she's free to do whatever she wants for the rest of this lifetime, right? And, like, I don't know. Like, she could she could decide that, you know, she wants to um, steer the ship in a different direction, you know? Like, I, I, I really do think either of those things are possible. And with what we know right now, like, I don't really feel like I have enough information to believe that she does have an ulterior motive, but like there's enough smoke there for me to want to check out that fire. You know, I don't think I'm not saying she even has an ulterior motive that Moira is not powerful, yeah. right? Moira Moira's only like power that's relevant is the fact that if she dies, she'll live again mm-hmm. and she retains her memories. So she's not a schemer. She's never been presented as a schemer in the way that Magneto and Xavier are schemers. Mm -hmm. Her biggest scheme is that she's aware that Destiny's knowledge of her will end this. But why does Destiny want her? Why is Destiny's presence on Krakoa uh, an endgame? Why is that the worst thing that could happen? Right. If If Moira's goals are altruistically in favor of mutant kind, then what is the threat of Destiny knowing about her? I guess the threat is that how does Destiny use that information, right? Because, like, it's... um, I don't know that it would be a threat to Moira in any tangible way, necessarily. 
because nobody knows who she is. Well, obviously a bunch of the X-Men know, know who Moira is, but right. Like not all mutants are aware of who she is or what her abilities are or whatever. They think she's dead though. Right. Right. So it's like, I'm just saying like, if she was like, Oh, Moira's alive and here you go. Right. Like, and I'm telling every mutant that this is the deal. Then that obviously presents a threat because if anybody kills her, then you know, the cat's out of the bag. Right. But like, to your point, why would Destiny want that? According to our knowledge, Moira has done what Destiny asked. Right. So that's the that's the major question at play. Um, I think that Moira... We've never been shown that Moira learned a love for mutant kind. We've only been shown that out of fear of dying, she has chosen to follow the path of helping mutants. Right. So I wonder how much disdain she has for mutants, for her personal destiny being intrinsically linked to the success or failure of mutants as a species. I think that's a major question. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when you think about it, right? Like something I was thinking about this time around that I hadn't thought about in a while was like, you know, um, it's not only that she's lived all these lives, right? Like she like had a regular life, right? And like was seemingly ready for, you know, whatever, right? Like for the for the next chapter of existence in the Marvel Universe, as it were. Um, and has been like forced into this never ending cycle, right? Sure. Um, and you got to imagine that like that takes a toll. <laughs> Yeah. Hickman used this issue to uh, circle back to some things that he hasn't really been able to touch upon. Uh, for example, the old ladies. Uh, we and got the gorillas <laughs> and the gorillas. Uh, so two birds, one stone, if you will, which I really appreciated. Actually, on the main show, I think uh, this past week, I talked about how it was frustrating that these elements like the old ladies were dead and wouldn't be addressed, but actually they were addressed the very same week for you guys. So that's pretty funny. Um, I like that. Happy to see that. Um, and we see that the mutants are still, you know, they're, they're at war. They're trying to, uh, you know, this is a war between Orcus and the mutants. This is absolutely a war between them. Um, so I really like that stuff. The conversation between Magneto, Xavier, and Moira was so good. I was on the edge of my seat that whole yeah. beat just because it's like, this is the stuff we've been waiting for. You know, this is like the promise of of House and Powers is this this level of storytelling, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And these stakes, like it, it just feels so dramatic, you know? Yeah, it, it really does. And Hickman handles the the tension very well. Uh, his style of dialogue suits these situations. He understands how to bring gravity to a situation through not only dialogue, but plot. And that's what makes reading his stories so awesome. Um, there's so many quotables here. Uh, I appreciate the conversation that they have about honesty. Um, you know, Moira says, 
well, if we're being honest and we should be honest with one another, which was an imitation of uh, Professor X's line, I'm not sure the two of you want to hear what I have to say. Magneto says, I do not fear truth. And Moira says, yet here I am, the biggest secret in mutant history still hidden away. What is it that she wants? I don't know, because she was the one who wanted to be hidden away. Yeah. You know? Um, and, you know, uh, Charles responds to that and says, uh, one would need to be a telepath to sense that you're radiating anger and regret. And, yeah, what is the regret? That she relinquished power? That she elected to live a life of solitude? You know, I don't know. Um, I would yeah. imagine that living in this, you know, bubble that she's created and really having nothing to do but reminisce and live in the past uh, leaves a lot of room for regret and for, you know, um, stewing over the way that she's been treated, you know, and the fact that, like, she has been at odds with Charles and Eric and that, like, you know, um, she knows better than they do in so many ways, right? And that, like, she's frustrated she's frustrated by their arrogance and you know that's something that we've talked about a lot during these reviews is that they are fucking arrogant and they are prideful and pride comes before a fall absolutely the more that we see moira especially i mean we've not spent this much time with her since oh god i don't even know house and powers i mean like she showed up once since then right like twice maybe yeah so but it, it becomes like even when even when they she asks them to listen to her, she says, then listen, for God's sake, because I'm done being ignored and hidden away. She doesn't proceed to say anything terribly relevant. Just that they need to not let destiny be a thing. But what is the answer for Nimrod? Because, OK, yeah, so we we eliminate destiny from the equation. How are you stopping Nimrod? He already exists and his existence is the is the end it's the end every time so so what is the answer well she alludes to it like she says the the clock we're running against is most likely measured in years it'll become more and more difficult but there is time and with time we can also grow stronger spread out and execute a long-term survival plan that only works if we're actually getting stronger and not being pulled apart which brings us back to destiny and right we've already talked about moira's skin in the game for why she would want to get rid of destiny but i but as i remember it in house and powers the agreement that they came to was that moira needs to be hidden away and destiny can never be resurrected because if everybody on krakoa knows what destiny knows and what charles and eric know about moira that krakoa can't stand because the people won't you know they won't believe in it because they'll you know decide that you know, that's inevitable or like, you know, whatever, right. That like people will splinter. Um, so I mean, like, I guess her argument is that like, yes, we need to deal with Nimrod, but we have years to deal with Nimrod and we need to start planning on how to deal with that. But the imminent threat is destiny. Destiny needs to be removed or we threaten to topple our, our, you know, house of cards. Um, whether or not you take that at face value, I guess is, you know, um, is is here nor there but i that was how i kind of took it is that like 
she's justifying that for them to really be together and focus on Nimrod and, and do what they need to do and spread out across the galaxy so that there's mutants all over the place um, or, 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 you know, whatever. That's kind of what I got from that, um, that they need to deal with the more imminent threat, which is that, you know, Mystique is nipping yeah. at the heels to get Destiny back now. Got it. Got it. But she doesn't know anything about the future. Moira has no clue about the future. And that is mm. what I'm getting at. She only knows about the past. Sure. She doesn't know what's going to happen. So what is her value now? What she knows from before. But this has never happened before. Nimrod's happened, though. Like, she knows about the timeline Nim- of Nimrod. Nim- Nimrod has happened. No, she doesn't. She knows about the timelines of Nimrod in her past, not in this time. That's true. So... If Nimrod's inevitable, the only thing that matters is how you can stop him. And she has no knowledge of that. Other than, well, actually, she doesn't, no, she doesn't have any knowledge of Not that. of how to stop it. No. No. She has no knowledge about that. She has so an why idea. should she be listened to? I don't understand. Well, she does have relevant data in terms of, like, the rough timeline of how long it takes for Nimrod to become unstoppable. Like that's that changes. Just, sure. Right. And they've already done things differently that have accelerated the timeline. So like, you know, I wouldn't say that it's like gospel, but like, it's definitely like it's information that I would want to have. If I was you, but, but here's what you're missing. Sure. In, in, in historically, like in this timeline, right? Right. Nimrod comes to be in the future. Nimrod is a future mutant, a future sentinel that comes to the past, okay? That's that's Nimrod. Right. That's the story we know. They have accelerated the timeline so much that Nimrod is now online. Right. A something that's supposed to happen in the distant future has happened now. So that's even worse than yeah. normal. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, all bets are off on that regard. Yeah. But I want to I want to uh, keep keep speaking here because I, there's something interesting about this sequence, and I I could be off, but in the panel where Moira says to them what she thinks they need to do about Destiny and and Nimrod, you know, mm-hmm. brings it back to Destiny. The way that that panel is um, is laid out, it looks to me like someone is observing them. Interesting. Yeah, I because, mean, it, yeah. it it does look like that. That could just be like a, you know, artistic choice. Sure. I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah. No, that's interesting. It does look like someone's like peering in. Yeah. You know? Uh, going forward, as we see that they are listening to, to Moira and enacting her strategies, they they gather what they believe is Destiny's DNA and Sinister has a look on his face I mean how could you ever trust him like if you're on YouTube look (laughs) at that face look at his face how could you ever trust that yeah I don't know it's unbelievable Um, yeah and it begs the question of like what happened there yeah like did Mystique take it before then? And if she did, how did she 
you know, uh, manipulate the five. Like, obviously, the five have been kind of clashing with Professor X already. I don't know. There's a lot of unanswered questions there, but, like, none of them are good for the state of Krakoa being a united nation, you know? We don't have to think that hard about it. Mystique and Mr. Sinister have history. Sure. All the characters that are presented as threats right now are people who have worked together before and are historically enemies of the X-Men. So it's no surprise that they're working together. Yeah. Destiny and Mystique are members of the Brotherhood. And Emma is a, a villain. She's a member of the Brotherhood in the past. She's been an X-Man too, though. Well, yeah, but she's she's clearly out for herself. <laughs> Look at the first page. I mean, yeah, I don't know, Sean. Might just be your Jean Grey bias talking, but I think you might be onto something. Mm. <laughs> uh, they threw in a random scene for Doug where he speaks to Krakoa about what's going on on the island. And I really wonder what that what why did they throw that in? There? I had a lot of questions about that, because there's also the bit at the beginning where he's at his house and um, I think Bay is how you say her name. Yeah. Yeah. She just like does a weird fucking stare at him as he leaves. That felt really sinister. Don't know what that's about. I thought that, you know, it, because she's kind of a hard ass. Was it just that, she's that was just like, <laughs> well, I guess if you take it as creepy, but I, I interpreted it as like, you know, I, I actually do miss this guy. Like, I didn't want him to know that I was awake while he was oh, kissing me. Yeah. OK, you know what? Yeah, I could see that. That makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. Um, OK. We do get another answer about a question that a lot of people had, myself included, which was what was going on with Bishop. Uh, some of the preview material showcased Bishop a lot, and we see now why he's being crowned. Cyclops has stepped down as the, you know, basically the chief commander, the, the captain commander, uh, captain commando of the <laughs> of, of Krakoa, uh, and Bishop is taking on that role. I think that's cool. I don't think that this piece is really relevant to inferno itself but i think it's fu future movements uh shift shuffling the deck if you will bishop is a character that needs i think a buff and this is that um that's not the only thing that happens here we're getting more uh mutants more heroic mutants onto the council um psylocke has stepped up as well so i like that yeah um this is interesting stuff but it's also stuff that it doesn't seem like everyone's happy with. Emma's clearly not. And if you read Marauders, you know that Emma, her whole deal has been trying to get her allies on the council. Right. And consolidate power. Yeah. Which yep. which does make the wrinkle of Bishop interesting, right? Because obviously Kitty or Kate has been kind of in leagues with Emma and, you know, Bishop is obviously, you know, um, real tight with with Kate and everything, so it's going to be interesting to see if there is kind of a scramble for power. Like, how does that end up playing out? You know, because you know, I don't know, right? Obviously, Kate has kind of interests on both sides of that fence. Well, Emma Emma clearly isn't happy with Bishop, so that that definitely could play out. We'll we'll have to see. Yeah. The other interesting thing for those of you who aren't necessarily following uh, Hellions is. Psylocke's relationship with Sinister. 
Um, I'm a few issues behind, so they may have resolved this already, but up until where I was actively reading it, she is an agent of Sinister. She owes him. And she's been working towards his ends. So her now being on the council, I wonder how that benefits him. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so lots of interesting stuff to to note uh, there. Um, otherwise, there's the the big reveal at the end. You know, it's that Mystique, Mystique speaks up. And Xavier and Magneto both believe that she's going to bring to the table wanting Destiny resurrected. And so they cut her off and say, listen, there's a time and place. We don't need to talk about that right now. And she says, wait, no, 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 no. I want to talk about uh, a nominee and it's Destiny herself. And the glee on the face of Mr. Sinister as that happens, tells you everything you need to know about the earlier scene where Professor Xavier is grabbing the DNA of Destiny from him. Moira was clear. She said, get it all. Destroy it all. Mag- uh, uh, Mr. Sinister didn't give it all. He didn't give it all, clearly. He yeah. knew more than he was saying in that scene right there. Yeah. Absolutely. And then you get to that last to that to that last page and Destiny's there and the way she looks at them and you see Magneto and Professor Xavier reflecting in her helmet and they ain't happy. They're sweating. They ain't happy. My thing is how does this vote end up with Destiny getting voted in? Like I mean, one, two, three. Yeah, like, I don't know. I feel like she doesn't have the votes. Why do you say that? I mean, I, I, maybe it doesn't even matter. But so I'm looking at the I'm looking at the, the quiet council, right? Like we have two open seats right now or is it just one? Well, Psylocke filled one. Right. So, so just one now. I think. Yeah, you say that to say what? So okay, so like Storm, Nightcrawler. I don't really see what reason they would have to necessarily say yes to Destiny joining. Like Charles and Eric both obviously going to say no. Sinister, you imagine is going to say yes, right? Like Pete, you're focused on the wrong thing. It doesn't matter whether she gets on the council or not. No, you're She's right. Alive. You're right, and it doesn't matter. But I'm, I guess I'm just, I'm just expressing that while we're talking about it. Is like, does she, does she even have the votes for that? But I don't think so. But she might when they hear what she has to say, and that's what we have to look forward to in issue two. You think that's gonna? Is that she's gonna talk? Yeah. Do you think she's gonna spill the beans? Um, I don't know if she's gonna right away. It's interesting because we we don't know how destiny feels about what Moira has done, but we know how mystique feels and how destiny will inevitably feel about the fact that they did not want her back. That's the problem. The problem is, and, and, and to me, that's where Moira's wrong. You're keeping destiny dead and mystique mad. What happens when Mystique says it's enough and they resurrect her? Now they're mad at you for keeping this secret. 
Why didn't you just resurrect her and talk to her? I did everything you asked me to do. Yeah. Everything you asked me to do. Why keep her dead? It's personal. It is that. And that's the only explanation for it. And if that's the case, then Moira is more interested in her self-preservation and not even just her self-preservation, but her anger yeah, about destiny. Yeah. Then everything involving mutant kind. And so when you mentioned ulterior motive and I said, I don't think she has one. I still don't. What I think she has is a grudge that overcomes and supersedes whatever loyalty she has to the mutants. And that's going to be, that's the inferno. Yeah. I think you're probably right. Masterful first issue. Uh, on the writing end question yeah are all four issues this long yep oh yes fuck yes oh i'm so yep. happy to hear that that's they're, amazing they're, news so it's really like 12 issues <laughs> yeah yeah they're just it's just super condensed uh and each one will be drawn by a different artist speaking of the art this was a, an absolutely gorgeous issue. Oh, yeah. I, I can see why they made the decision to release these uh, with each individual artist doing it because they're drawing so many pages, but then also they're giving it their all. Valerio Schiti's work has never looked better, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I got no notes for, for my man here. Uh, this, this issue looks fantastic. Um, and I think it's one of those issues where, like, it really does show the the depth of his talent because like the big like cool moments obviously look good but it's mm. the little things that like the little moments that like could have been phoned in and still have that same level of detail and care that like you know it takes it that extra mile yeah absolutely um you know we talked about the the lack of of Laraz and how that might affect the series. Um, I don't think that this first issue, look, Pepe Larraz is obviously the person who, alongside Marta Gracia and whoever else had the ideas, established how Krakoa would look and feel. And we've seen several artists emulate that style to success and failure. But for this series, this Inferno series, it has to look that way. Yeah. It has to look like House and Powers. And Valerio is an amazing artist who has found a way to make his style look that way. And and Curiel's colors are doing yeah. a great job as well. Same. Yeah, I was about to say same to Curiel. Um, nailing it. Like it, it's uh, the specifically the Moira, Charles, and Eric pages, like those really feel like house and powers. Like they really feel like they're locking into that tone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this issue did everything I needed it to do. It did more than I thought it would do. I, I did not think that the first issue would see the resurrection of destiny. That's major. Yeah. Oh, one other thing we didn't talk about was there was the medical report about black Tom. Yeah. That doesn't sound good either. Well, I had nothing to say about it. So uh, what do you have to say about it? I just, so wasn't his thing 
that he was he was doing something that had to do with regulating Krakoa. Like I'm I'm fuzzy on the details of what his responsibility was. Cause he's still they're saying he's still on active duty. And I he had it was something that had to do with regulating the island. And you know, we talked about how there was that segment with um you know, like with with the conversation at Krakoa with Krakoa and Doug and and uh, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, you're talking about um the robot, his buddy. Oh my god, how can I not remember that it's name? Like, I love that character. Um, it's like right on the tip of my tongue. Why am I blanking now? Well, it'll damn come, it, Pete. It'll come to us. Um, the fact that this that scene that report immediately precedes that scene leads me to feel like maybe there's something not so good going on with like the um i don't know like the physiology of krakoa or something like that i don't know Uh, like him that could be him having these like loss of feelings and like uh, having it, it says hallucinations of machinery moving under his skin like that's very specific. Well, that that could have something to do with the uh, the guy we can't remember who's his name right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna look it up. His his interactions with Krokoa. Yeah, that was something that we talked about a while ago. Yeah, it's like what he's up a with phalanx warlock. Warlock, thank you. He's a phalanx, and we've seen him you know, interacting with Krakoa the whole time. So that could be a part of it. And um, Black Tom is is Krakoa in a, in a sense. So Black Tom is experiencing those things. Yeah. In the far-flung future, we saw that Black Tom became just Krakoa. Like, yeah. when, in, 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 in Powers, when Black Tom's body is there, but that's Krakoa. So I don't think that that was... I don't think what we're seeing right now is terribly much more than that. Than preceding that. Yeah. Interesting. We yeah. don't know how that impacts Krakoa, but we know that that will happen, or at least it happened. So a, it could still point. happen. That's a yeah. good, it could just be a reference to that, which is just, I guess, another um, shout out to the layers of this that are pulling on all these old, old threads that we haven't thought about in so long. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this, this issue was tremendous. Yeah, 10 out of 10. Yeah, I I am so sad that this is going to end soon. Like, I don't want this to end. This is so good. Um, We will, of course, be reviewing every single issue of Inferno happily. Uh, they will likely all be this long. <laughs> I was going to say, we, we're going to talk about 40 minutes for every single one of them because I hope so. <laughs> yeah i mean i don't i don't i don't see any way around that it, it is what it is with these books and this is an oversized issue so we kind of talked about um like two or three issues in one just now yeah i feel like it was an appropriate amount of time frankly yeah uh <laughs> let us know your thoughts about this series uh and whether or not you think we're on point with the stuff that we're kind of thinking is going to happen um, the next issue will feature uh, Stefano Caselli on art. Um, he is also very capable. Caselli is the 
regular series artist over at Marauders. Um, so we will be getting we'll be getting his work. Uh, and all the covers feature Emma Frost. So okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um thank you so much for listening. Of course, we would love for you guys to like the video, share it with your friends, drop us a comment, leave us a rating and a review, like wherever it is that you're listening to us. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube, whether you're listening to this on YouTube or not. Head on over there and hit that subscribe button. It's free to do and it helps us out a ton. Listen to our main show, which drops every single Monday. We will probably talk about Inferno in some capacity on that show. So check that out and listen to our image comics reviews, which drop every single Wednesday. And last but not least, head on over to listen to our book club. We did on low. It just dropped. That was a labor of love. Rick Remender, Greg Ticini, Dave McCagg. We love that series. We did a book club on it. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. For Pete, I'm Sean. We will see you guys next week for another batch of Comics Pals reviews. Until then, take care, guys.